Welcome back to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line, brought to you by me, Dylan Hartley. This is a really special pod this week because I'm back in camp with the Red Roses straight after getting their hands on another Six Nations trophy. For the final time this series, I'm joined by two fellow front rowers, hooker Lark Davies and prop Tasha Harper. Good morning, champions. Six Nations final yesterday. How are you feeling today? Yeah, obviously really, really pleased. A few tired bodies around yes- uh, after yesterday, I think, like very physical game but yeah to get three six nations titles is quite an achievement so yeah gotta see see the massive positives in that Taish, how about you how's how's winning three in, well you haven't been involved with three in a row have you but you're just continuing that form i've been involved in two and i tell you i woke up this morning feeling like a winner <laughs> good on you but um i was obviously at the game yesterday it was it was tense you know, especially for you, like watching that game close out towards the end. How was that for you in those final moments? It's always really nerve wracking, but like I think it's strange, isn't it, how you feel in games? And I felt like we we had the control still, and we, you know, I had utter like faith in the girls that we could go and get that win. So yeah, like obviously when they got that penalty and it came to seven six, like it was like wow, this is really close now. I think, you know, one standout for me was our defence yesterday. So when I came off the pitch, just, yeah, seeing the girls sort of get each other like Packer, just massively like riling the girls up and like cheering them on. And yeah, it's just one of those where you're sort of like sat on the bench, just like, come on, girls, we've got this. And yeah, obviously another penalty, three points and yeah, came away with the win. It's fair to say Marley Packer is like a foghorn. Uh, you can hear her all game. She's so consistent with her noise. And you're right, they, they threw literally the, the kitchen sink at you guys. They, they tried everything and your D was fantastic. Taish, for you being on the field at the, at the end of the game, what were those last moments like for you? I'm thinking going into the last sort of quarter of the game, there's so much on the line. You can't kind of take your foot off the gas. How was that for you? So when I went on, I was like, God, one mistake here could lose us a game. <laughs> so I was just thinking, be really clinical, like no silly pens, and then just controlling everything I could control on my behalf. And then just remembering my role really around the park. And I was like, if I get that right, like that's me doing my job. And then just making sure to hunt in the threes. Cause I think it was like, we don't have to score, but we just don't like need to let them score was my like mentality. So I was just like, big hits. So you, you just said hunt in the threes, right? Yeah. Can you give me a bit of context around that? Oh, so basically you hunt in threes and you've got like your inside, your outside and then yourself. So like just talking to each other and then there as a line, we should stay connected. So you're talking about defence, basically going oh, yeah. and um, whacking people together. Yeah? yeah. Hunting in threes. I like that. The set piece battle was really, really dominant from, from France, really dominant first half Second half, England seemed to have uh, flipped that on its head, actually. And I was thinking those last kind of stages of the game, it was basically integral that England's set piece was immaculate. Um, how was that battle for you up, up front, um, Taish? So basically watching from the sideline, I was like, what's going on? But then when I was in it, I was like, ah, that's why. Because like, they'd just come in from anywhere and I'd be like, how have they got there? But just like line outs, because I don't think I had any scrums when I was on the line outs when we did the drive in there, like 22. Um, they tried to sack it, but then we survived that one. <laughs> it was just kind of everyone sticking together and just trusting our process. 
after the game, obviously, I don't know, was it relief? What What was the feeling for you like? No, I think it was more like elation and like happiness. Like probably, yeah, like as the whistle goes, a bit of relief. But I think you've definitely got to see the positives. And like, I think personally for me, like I found the game quite frustrating because I made a few mistakes, like not straight to the line out. So I'm quite like a hard person on myself. So like moments I'm like, right, focus on actually what we've just achieved, all the work that we've put in to get to that point is massive and you know it's been a whole squad effort to get us to that point and especially sort of with the circumstances at the moment like not just us playing on the pitch but like our staff members like our doctor Nikki Ponsford director of rugby who's done like they've all done so much hard work to get us to that point so like I think it's just like putting it into perspective a bit of actually like there's been so many different parts of this and to come away with that win and and win the championship's massive and should be celebrated. Yeah, good good on you. I think it's a really interesting point and I think the sooner you can work that out as a player, the better because we're all hard on ourselves. We all want to improve and get better. But ultimately, it's a team sport and ultimately you go out to win. You know, I used to be kind of like really self-critical, but you don't want to be that person detracting from what the team's done. And I yeah. think... I know. I think it's kind of finding that balance of being self-critical, but also enjoying the bigger picture. And I don't think I enjoyed winning because it was all just part of the process, you know, get better, win, get better, win, maybe lose along the way. But yeah, I like that. Very wise from you, you old head at 26 years old. <laughs> Celebrations after the feeling. Obviously, saw you girls on the field. Um, what about changing rooms? What what was said in, in there, Taish? Everyone came in in drips and drabs in the changing rooms. And then at first it was silent because Shauna was getting drug tested and it was her speaker. So it took us like half an hour to figure out how you connect to that. And everyone was like, is any music? No. And then we got that connected and then everyone was literally just buzzing. And then after we like stopped buzzing a bit, it was like, oh, hot burritos, anyone? <laughs> what, so straight to food, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> music, what was the first tune on in the, in the change room? I think it was DJ Khaled, All I Do Is Win. <laughs> nice is that, is that kind of like the, the go-to team song no so before the game we have I don't know what the song's called but called Sunshine Sunshine they played it as we were like collecting medals okay okay like just just now that the tournament's done how do you think you guys progressed as a team through the tournament because watching your games you know you, you kind of put together moments of brilliance um, slow starts quick starts how, when you look back at the the games, how do you think you kind of progressed as a team throughout the tournament? Yeah, I think obviously you still got a bit of looking at sort of yesterday's game to go, but I think there's been moments where we have shown sort of the progression we've made from the start of the tournament to, to the end. And I think we've had sort of moments of brilliance and moments that we know we need to work on. And so I think it's definitely still a bit of a work in progress in terms of where we're at as a squad. And I think that's not a bad place to be at all. We've got plenty of learning to do. And obviously, like I think yesterday, obviously to come away with that win. But I think, like I've said before, looking at it with a bit more of a critical eye, like as forwards will know set piece wise that we want to perform better in those games, in those against France, you know, the likes of sort of Canada, New Zealand. So yeah, definitely have progressed. And, you know, I think you've seen each week different standout performers. And, you know, I think it shows how exciting women's rugby is but I definitely think if we 
if we put our critical hat on that we still got some learning to do and there's been different progressions in each game in different areas but actually we still want to go out and and put in that sort of like well-rounded whole performance I suppose it's a good thing because the tournament's there to be won right it doesn't matter yeah. how you how you play um, ultimately as long as you're winning but um, I think for you guys with the long term if you think about New Zealand coming up there's so much like we've seen glimpses of what it is and guess what you never play the perfect game no. Like you never like every coach talks about the perfect game, but then you talk to mids, you talk to Eddie Jones, and they're like, "There's no such thing as a perfect yeah. game." But you you always need something to aspire to, right? Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it shows the the quality of your side that you know you go and win a tournament, and you're probably still not close to that perfect performance. Um, there's loads for you guys to work on, which is cool. Taish, the the women's tournament stood on its own this year for the first time. How do you think that went? I think it was great. Because sometimes when we play now on a Saturday and like the boys play on a Saturday, viewers then have to choose between if they want to watch men's or women's rugby. And then I also like the fact that yesterday it was a final and yeah, it was streamed on actual TV. But even like the Premiership now, you can watch on YouTube, but most clubs are like streaming now. And I think that's a great thing because for people to know about women's rugby, like you have to see it and you have to watch it. You have to get access to it. But I like the fact that it's done on its own because then it pulled in more viewers because some people are like, oh, I don't want to watch women's rugby. But then it just happens to be on telly. They're like, oh, actually, it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, or flog it. Let's not get into flog it. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm with you. There's so much. It's almost like um, there's just so much rugby on. I think you guys have in your own window. And I don't know what they're going to go back to when, when the world returns to normal. But I agree, you know, there's so much rugby on in a weekend. You can only watch so much. And if people are playing at the same time, you've got a, a choice to make. Whereas you guys standing alone, 100% agree with you. Yeah, I think it's gone good. I mean, it'd be nice to have a normal format because um, yeah. you guys can't claim a Grand Slam, can you? No, we can't. That would have been nice to have that. Do you think, uh, in terms of that format, do you think playing five games on the bounce helps you kind of gel and bond and perform better over time. Whereas you guys basically went in cold into two games, then a week off and then a final. Do you think, I mean, which is fantastic that you, you just dealt with what was in front of you, but would you agree that over five games, you'd be so much better, far more consistent and, and probably closer to that all round performance you're talking about, like the games that we play, especially together and having that, five game period within within the six nations normally is is massive for us in terms of that that building towards sort of like the last game and it obviously depends structurally what it what it looks like whether it's sort of away games um and having all of that within the tournament i think it felt almost for especially for those people that may have not been involved in the italy game and had been involved in the scotland game sort of playing that one game and then going straight into the final it's quite different compared to like what you're used to in terms of those five games. So I think massively like the more time we spend together, which, you know, we're really fortunate with at the moment and with our contracts as well, it means that we do spend a lot of time together, even when we're with our clubs, but playing those games together, I think is, is massive. Like you can, you can train sort of the, the PPP that we're doing, but actually when you get onto, onto the game field and that into that match day, it is a different dynamic and yes it's that that PPP is preparing us massively for what we're doing but it is like so different on match day in terms of you know the decisions to make the intensity of it 
what you're going to face depending on opposition. Brilliant. Um, Taish, England winning the title three times in the bounce now. What's that say about the squad and, and a wider sort of question? What's it say about the, I suppose, the health or the, the riches in, in women's rugby in England right now? I think like women's rugby, I'm not that old, but like looking back at when I first started and then having like eight players on a Saturday and having to borrow some from other teams and stuff. And then you look at it now and there's so many clubs that have like under 13s teams and then like a minis team. So I think it's grew massively. But I think, like I said before, having it streamed so young girls can watch it and go, oh, I want to be like, say, Lark. I want to be like a Detaisha or a Shauna Brown. And then having like idols that they can actually see. Because I just think if you don't know about it, you don't like aspire to be it. Hi, I'm Courtney, England Lock, here to remind you to leave us a rating and a review at the end of the podcast. Cheers. We're going to move on to your rugby journeys. I gave you, you know, I did extensive research on you both. And your your early sort of rugby uh, experience have ties to your families. Like I read that you used to watch rugby with your dad. Can you tell me yeah. about that? Yeah, so I loved watching rugby with my dad, sort of, and my one grandparent as well. Like my grandpa is what I call him because he's he's the Welsh side of the family. So would watch a lot of rugby with them and didn't necessarily know that I could do it myself. Sort of obviously watching men's rugby, didn't really see any women's rugby up until a teacher came into school and was like, going to play tag rugby, girls and boys can get involved. Really enjoyed it. Sort of said to mum and dad after, I was like, I want to play rugby. Like, what do I do? Is there a local club? And then sort of that, that started everything off really. But yeah, just loved, loved the physicality of it. Loved the different skills within it. So yeah, watching it with my dad is still something I enjoy doing uh, when I get the opportunity. Oh, I love that. I lo- and I love it how kids, they want to play rugby, right? Then they go play tag. And then the kids <laughs> that aren't like the, the subs or the kids that can't be on the field are all playing like tackle and wrestling yeah. off the side of the field. Taish, being a true northerner, but a rugby league for you early days. And am I right in saying that your brothers were playing and you said to your mum, if they're playing, like, why can't I go? <laughs> yeah. So I remember being like quite young and then... I've got an older brother, so I used to go and watch him like every Saturday, every Sunday. And then my younger brother started playing and I just like, mum, what about me? Why do you never take me? (laughs) Just as a joke. And then she went, you know what, I'll take you next week. And then I remember turning up and then my first ever night of rugby training, it was like dead dark, throwing it down. I was like, oh, typical. And then everyone was so nice and I was like, oh. And I think we did tackling as well. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, oh, I'll give it a go. And I was like, all right, see you next week. I'll be back. <laughs> Brilliant. So was that was that rugby union at that point or was that rugby league? Um, that was rugby union at that point. And so how did you find your way to league and then back to union? Like, talk to me about those transitions. So I was like, oh, we had a rugby union season, but at under 15s and under 18s, there wasn't that many girls about. So the games we had, we didn't really have many. And it was literally just the same teams we used to play. So then when I turned 16, on my 16th birthday, I went and played my first open age rugby league game. (laughs) Because basically that was like a summer league. In summer, I'd go and play league. And then in winter, I'd come back to rugby union. 
But rugby league was what my older brother played. And then union was what my younger brother played. Awesome. I'm just thinking, like, at what point for you both, I'm going to ask you both this, did the penny drop? So I'm going to come to you first, like, and you you kind of said to yourself, I love this. I want to do this. I want to play for England. When I was at secondary school, we my local club was called Luctonians, and they'd bring sort of all the girls from across the county to, like, these Monday night sessions and lots of sort of different age groups and stuff. And I think my first contact session that I did there, like, I was just like, I love that. That was great. Like, it was really wet, really muddy. <laughs> But I was like, I really enjoyed that. And I think for me, like I, I really enjoy like the training aspect of it. And like those really hard training sessions are actually what I really enjoy at times. And like, yeah, sometimes they're hard, but like, that's what I really liked about it. And so when I was in sort of age group rugby, there was a few girls and we were based at a club called Greyhounds Rugby Football Club in Hereford. And it was sort of like four or five of us most weeks, but we do like loads of different like passing skills and lots of technical stuff that actually I really really enjoyed and I was sort of like what do I go on to next um and so my age group rugby actually was where because I was playing at Worcester I had lots of people above me in the senior squad that I was sort of like wow this is what what they're doing sort of they're playing for England and that's where I started to actually see what what people were doing, like the women that were playing for England, because before that I hadn't really seen it as much. Like it wasn't at that time sort of readily available for people to watch and stuff like that. So being around that environment, I was like, I had those role models, you know, I was lucky enough when I started senior rugby at Worcester to have Rocky Clark one side of me and Laura Keats the other um, so two like world-class props and me as a tiny little hooker sort of just finding my way into women's rugby and I think at that point it was like actually I really want to do this you know I, re- I want to go on and play for England and was that made easier when you've got someone like Rocky next to you that played 100 and 200 times for England? I don't know what the number is but she's ridiculously capped was that easier for you to see that pathway when you were playing with someone like Rocky Yeah, massively. And I think as well, like if you look at the Worcester squad at that time, sort of we had Donna Kennedy, who I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is still the most, one of the most, the most capped player. Um, She's capped for Scotland, coaching us and just like cap merchant on the wing, sort of Lydia Thompson, like just a team full of people that were, were showing me the way and that were wanted to help me and, you know, out there sort of living and breathing it. So I think that was massive. Am I right in saying a bit like Liam Riley, you made like a bit of a plan? You wrote down some stuff? Am I making that up or is that true? No, that is true. Um, so when I was quite young, I sort of put put down a, a plan of what I wanted to do and it's not all gone to plan. So it's it was kind of just there because I'm, I'm definitely like a goal setter. I like to put things out and, and plan ahead and... <laughs> Hang on. What what do you mean it's not gone to plan? You're a fully fledged England international. <laughs> what else was on the plan? Like where have you fallen short in your 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 lofty ambitions? Yeah, so actually I always had on that plan the big tournament in Belfast in 2017 and I didn't make it. Like I didn't get into the squad. So I think like for me that was massive in terms of where I was at at the time. So I didn't make the squad like I was a newly qualified teacher that year so I was in my first year of like balancing teaching rugby and it was really difficult like it was one of those things that actually I looked at all the girls going out there and playing and stuff and was like 
wow, what do I need to do now? Like what's next? So I went part-time with work after that year was like, right, okay, I need to change something. So I was like, okay, the one thing I can change and can control is the amount of work that I'm putting in to get to the position that I want to be in. So yeah, went down to three and a half days a week teaching. So it doesn't sound like that much less, but having that day and a half extra and the way it was worked out in the week just allowed for more time for me to go and train. And that was sort of the year then that I got my first start for England. I love that because there's so many lessons in there. Lots of people say they want to do things and they, they wait for them to happen and nothing happens. But, you know, you actively, you know, shift your working week, you, you write things down. I think it's brilliant. I think it's really oh, thank cool. You. Well done. <laughs> Tosh, what about you? You're, you're a baby face in this team. You're, you're one of the, the, the kids. You know what I mean? You have five caps, right? Uh, yeah. When did the penny drop that this was there for you? You can grab it with two hands. So basically, I remember getting my first Lancashire trial and I literally cried after it because I was like, oh God, what if I don't get in and stuff? And like my coach would come up to me and be like, don't worry if you don't get in, like you really need to rugby and stuff. And I was like, what's he telling me that for? And then when I got accepted into that, I was a bit like, well, if I can do that, I can do anything. But then in high school, like the boys would play rugby in high school, but there wouldn't be a girls team we'd play like netball or something like that. And I was like, Ugh. and they would be like, oh, imagine if Taish makes it and we don't. And I was like, well, I'm going to prove you very right. <laughs> and then it was kind of being in the pathway and then just getting like selected for stuff. I was like, well, if I keep working hard and like keep doing things that I can do to make myself better, then maybe I'll like have an opportunity and have a shot. But then I also used my playing on a Saturday to an advantage. So I'd be like, right, which team could I go to that would benefit me? So I started out at um, Waterloo. And then I remember Blaze being like, oh, Taish, if you want us to like look at you, we need you to carry more. And I was like, how am I meant to carry more on a team that's constantly defending for 80 minutes? <laughs> and then that's when I got in touch with Reese at Lightning. And then I made the swap there. And that's probably one of the best decisions I've made. But then another hard thing was a bit like Lark to make sure I could focus on training and put time in for that. I just thought I need to stay in education for a bit longer because you have a bit of leeway and it's a bit flexible there. So I was like, if I stay in education, don't get a real job. It like my time's just mine. Um, and it obviously helps when you go play along. England internationals, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's a far easier progression, no doubt. What about, let's, let's go back to your, your kind of first cap experiences, um, like you out in Canada. Yeah, it seems so long ago now. And looking back, I'm like, wow, I was like so small. Um, maybe even like 18 kg smaller than I am now. Um, and it was an amazing experience, obviously, but I just remember sort of the heat was definitely one thing that like was like I'd never experienced like being out and playing in rugby in that heat and sort of obviously getting your first cap as well. My mum and dad watched it like from my sister's phone in a service station because at the time my my sister was still swimming. So my older sister, Fern, is from a swimming background. And so I think they were with her for an event. So we we're all sort of like crowded around a phone and like they took a picture and sent it to me after the game to say like, you know, we watched the live stream. But yeah, it was 
obviously like to be involved and to go on a tour was was massive and a really good experience for me in terms of seeing what I needed to do to to get to where I wanted to be and obviously to get my first first cap was was incredible too did, did you remember do you get your shirt like the the evening before the game and did you kind of go back to your room and you've made your your your, your plan with your goal setting and you've, that moment really really special for you yeah it was and I think I've still got a picture so when you get your first cap we always get a rose as well so you get your shirt and your rose the night before and sense does like a little speech for those that have new caps which is really special and so I think I went back to my room sort of laid out laid out my shirt and my rose on it and took a picture of it and I'm pretty sure I've still got it as the background of my phone and I know that sounds really like cheesy but I think it just like is a reminder of that whole process of like where where it's like happened and where I've got to now. Brilliant. Tosh, let's throw it back to last year. Back in normal times when we had crowds, can you talk me around um, through the emotions of, of that? For me, it didn't really feel that real because I remember on a Wednesday, I had like a bit of a books game. And then it was, I think it was Thursday, Blaze rang me and he was like, oh, Tosh, are you available to come into camp like tomorrow? And I was like, uh, yeah. And then that was when I found out I was getting capped and I was like, oh God, Whoa. it's not going to be like a Wednesday. <laughs> And then, like, I told my mum and my nana and stuff, and, like, they were all crying. And then when they came, I remember just sat there on the bench and I could hear my nana starting songs with the fans, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but then after it, I remember, like, I was, like, the last one out of the change rooms because I was like, oh, I'm going to have to, like, stand up and get something off Sunts because she'd stand up after the game and she'd, like, say something really nice and really special. Like, as well as she did in shirt press, and she did it again in front of everyone. And then, like, my nana was there sobbing, and I was like, oh, get me out of here. <laughs> but it was really, like, it was really nice, especially to have, like, people. I think my mum came, my nana came, and then my best friend and her dad came. So it was really nice to have all those people there. But then I remember after the game, my first ever cap, the drug testers was like, yeah, you come on <laughs> I was like oh what do you do <laughs> I'm not going to ask you what you had to do but it, it takes the uh it takes the gloss off that moment I suppose when you should be enjoying it with your teammates and your family right yeah <laughs> you gotta go squeeze away yeah. I'm really excited to have two fellow front rowers on the pod with me can you both tell me how you came to find your place in the front row so basically, when I first started playing rugby, I started at Eccles and I played, I think I played eight. Obviously, really new. I was like proper half of the size I am now. And I could, I was like quite fast. And I was like, oh, I quite like this position. But it wasn't like proper scrums or line outs or anything. It was, you know, where you have three stand in the line and then someone just throws it in. <laughs> you just get the ball. Um, but then... I remember my first coach, Trev, he was like, you're probably going to be a prop in the future. And I was like, oh, I'm not being a prop. Because back then as well, people associated props as like big, fat people that literally just scrummed and didn't do anything else. And I was like, I'm never going to be that. Well, and they always associate a certain IQ with the front row as well. It's not fair. <laughs> it's certainly not fair. Um, and then I think like my last year of under 18s divisional, they said to me, like, oh, you've got more chance of making it if you move to the front row. And they said this to both me and Sarah Beckett. 
So at first I was just a bit like, mm. but then I was like, to be fair, I don't really care where I play as long as I can play because it's not like specific parts of the game that I enjoy, it's all of it. So then I said, you know what, if you teach me what to do, I'll move there. But then my first year of senior rugby, I played at tight head. And then it was like, our loose head got injured. So there was like, oh, Taish, like, I don't suppose you can play this side. And I was like, I'll, I'll give it a go. <laughs> and then I moved over to the other side. And then I think I enjoy loose head more. So I can kind of play both. But after watching the scrums yesterday, I was like, thank God I'm not playing that side. That is a gnarly side. <laughs> tight head is a gnarly position. So I'm quite happy now in my place. So you, you you basically found your way from eight to, well, back row to lock to front row. You've probably got a great appreciation for everyone's jobs in the scrum. Whereas luck, I can't imagine you played lock before you played hooker. <laughs> I think I was always destined with my height to uh, to be in the front row, maybe. I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> it's all right. I'm normally at the end of uh, a lot of height jokes. I think there's a picture of me tackling four from yesterday that went on the <laughs> players group. Um but literally, like, I look half the height of her. That's um, perfect for a low tackle, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was a great tackle. I think because I knew that, like, my dad had always played in the front row, he was always quite keen for me to be to be a prop or a hooker. And, um, yeah, I kind of, similar to, to Taish, really, like, I think playing age group rugby, the coaches that I had one of them being Pete Williams, he was always like really keen for, even if he knew that we'd eventually probably play in the front row, he wanted us to have those experiences sort of playing, playing in the centres mainly um, just to get sort of the experience of doing that and to develop our skill set. So I think up until playing senior rugby, I sort of played in a few different positions, back row, front row, in the centres. But then when I got to senior rugby, I think it was a case of actually from my age group rugby I always enjoyed throwing and it was something that probably came a bit more naturally to me than other people and they were sort of like actually right we think hooker's your place to be and sort of went from there really started playing at Worcester at 18 in the front row and haven't really played anywhere else since so I like the the part of the the skill set in terms of the throwing and at scrum time and then also sort of what you expect a hooker to be on pitch as well so yeah well I mean Tom Young started as a centre I, I played all my age group rugby with Tom Young so he was a 12 and I was the loose head prop and then we both ended up at hooker so for, for you to go from centre to, to front row is fairly impressive but I, I need to challenge you on something you're saying you had a natural you were quite natural at throwing the ball that just doesn't happen like you don't just become natural at throwing the ball it comes with time and application and practice <laughs> as in like throwing the ball like two hands overhead like I know it sounds silly but it's something that like I used to do with my dad in the garden before like age group rugby we'd be passing like in the garden like I'd throw it overhead so like yeah, I'd probably had more exposure to it, which then meant that when I got to training and they were like, right, we're introducing line outs, I could throw it. And I think, yeah, it's not, it's definitely something that I put in hours of work into now. But when I was sort of very young, it was something that I could do because I'd experienced it and I was used to doing it. Brilliant. Um, where are you born in your family? Is it Fern and Poppy, your sisters? Um, Holly and Fern. Sorry, and I'm the youngest. Yeah. You're the youngest. Right, yeah. I read something the other day. I'm just going to quickly go off on a bit of a tangent. If you're first born in your family, unlucky, right? But second, third borns, 
professional sportsmen and women tend to be second, thirdborns because they're constantly losing or learning as kids, whereas the oldest are always like the best at everything. And they don't have to learn and be thrifty on how to win and beat their older siblings. So the whole time, psychologically, you're learning how to compete or play. It's almost like playing a year ahead. So then when you become to, to adults, they reckon you've basically got this thing in your head where you know how to learn and adapt and deal with resilience and set back, you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So, hey, the three of us, we're all second, third born <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it? I know the research you're talking about as well. I've read it myself. Have you? Yeah. Well, you're a teacher, aren't you? Clever cookie. Um, <laughs> you look at the Williams sisters. Uh, I need to get this right. Serena or Venus, which is the younger? She's the better one. Serena's the youngest, isn't she? I read it on them. Um, the front row attracts plenty of unique and colourful personalities. Would you say that's true of the Red Roses? Because we all know that the best people in the rugby team are usually front row. They're the most interesting, easily. That's true. Give me a quick breakdown of the, I don't know, who is the most interesting in, in your front row counterparts? I think the funniest person in the front row is like Amy Cocaine because she's just so blunt and straight to the point. But then seeing how she is in like a rugby environment and then thinking that she works in the RAF like police department, I just can't picture her doing that. I, just, I wouldn't take her seriously. <laughs> What, so you're saying she tries to be serious and, and and have some authority, but you just see it as a joke? I'd, yeah, I'd see it as a joke because I'm just like, what? And some of the stuff she comes out with as well, I just think it's really funny. <laughs> what about you, Lark? Who, who are you going with? Uh, I feel like we have characters across the board. I think we are quite a diverse group. You've got lots of different, like, different personalities and... Like Taish is constantly making everyone laugh in, in camp. Like I'm bigging her up here, but just so much fun to be around. Like you're guaranteed to be laughing at something, sometimes at, at her expense. Sorry, Taish. But um <laughs> but yeah, from like Taish to Shauna to like Bryony Cleal, like like Bryony again, like will just like some of the comments she comes out with will just yeah get everyone laughing or yeah I think we're as a group just really different and I think that's what's great about it yeah like Vic Cornborough as well again very different personality loads of different personalities it's hard to choose from one and and isn't it interesting how probably the most intelligent people in the team because front rows are always highly intelligent do like the most mundane and arduous kind of job in the team Hi, I'm Emily Scarrett and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. I've got to know a bit more about your rugby careers. I want to know more about you guys off the field. Uh, Lark, yeah, so Harriet said you are the baker of the squad. Is that something you do in your downtime? Yeah, definitely. I think I think I like being able to like make stuff for people. So if I can bake like just a little pick me up for people like after games or after a hard training session then like on my days off I'll try and like bake something new or a bit different or if some of the girls put in requests like obviously me and T play at lightning and quite often on a Saturday game day it will be something normally involving Biscoff because that's a popular one but yeah definitely say baking's something that I quite enjoy doing just to switch off and then enjoy then giving it to people and making sure I don't eat too much of it myself. (laughs) I find that's the biggest problem, right? I'm not the baker in my house, but my daughter and my wife are always mixing, making, baking. 
And the biggest problem is everyone else in my family has got a self-control thing where they can say no to an extra slice bit or biscuit. I'm just like, that thing's warm. It's got to go. It's got to be done. Like <laughs> I've got to work my way through it. So it's a bit different now, but when I played, I had to limit the baking. Tosh, what about you? Any any hidden talents? Um, So like when I'm away from rugby, I enjoy doing like performances, sometimes just in my bedroom, dancing and singing, messing about. And then I watch it back and I just think, that's so funny. It's so funny because it's so awful. (laughs) (laughs) Are we talking like TikTok kind of things or are you just setting your camera up on a tripod? I don't have TikTok, but like normally like a Snapchat, and it to like Sarah Beckett, Ellie Kildun, sometimes Sean. And, you know, because I just think if it's making me laugh, it might make them laugh. And then whenever they need like a little five, ten minutes, a little laugh in the day, I'm just like, yeah, (laughs) have this. (laughs) And I believe you can sing. I get a bit of stage fright. But you you are competent, yeah? You you can belt one out. Well, Sarah Burns says I've got a voice like an angel. <laughs> she has got a pretty good voice, to be fair to her. Okay. I enjoy Tash's performances. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to ask you to sing. Um, I've kind of put words in your mouth in terms of baking luck, but have you got any other hobbies away from it? You're engaged, right? I've been yeah. through your Instagram, you see. You're engaged. <laughs> um, Tosh, I couldn't find yours. I'm on private. <laughs> yeah obviously me and my fiance jamie like quite like getting outdoors and i'm looking forward to the summer a bit managed to get a paddle board so looking forward to being able to get out on that a bit more my sister lives down in swansea actually um you, i know that you mentioned swansea earlier <laughs> i've been out in um, that bloody harbour or bay or whatever it is gosh to be fair if you go a bit further out into the gower it's quite nice um so yeah we went out next to, to the big sewage pipe you know, that big pipe that yeah. all the poo going out. Yeah, yeah that's not where you want to go. You want to get out further towards the gower and you get like the really nice beaches. So like I've said before as well, I'm a big reader. Like I'll constantly have like about five different books that I'll be reading. So that's something like I'll enjoy doing. Quickfire, favourite book? Ooh, um, I actually really like all of the Maya Angelou books. Wow, um, explain who that is and what that is. She's an activist, poet, writer. She basically wrote like memoirs of her life. But um, I read all of those, I think, through last year's Six Nations and just sort of really interesting to read about all of her experiences in terms of sort of being a black woman in America and just found them really interesting. But I also really enjoy sort of like more about sort of mindset, psychology, that sort of thing. And potentially want to retrain um, into some sort of profession within psychology. So I think those are probably more the way that my books that I read at the moment go. There's so many things I want to pick up on here. So (laughs) Taish, I know you're doing psychology, but I want to go back to the book. So you're not just a casual reader. If you read seven books throughout Six Nations, you're averaging like a book every four or five days. (laughs) <laughs> is that right is that good maths I'm not good at maths but it, it depends I didn't I didn't get through all of them within that time but I know that I was like I read quite a few and yeah like I think my worst habit is that I'll have like a different book for what I want to read at that point in the day so I might have like one like non-fiction one fiction and then another one on the go at the time so I might like pick a different book up at a time and like we'll be okay. reading different I'm starting ones. to understand the overpacking thing now yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, Tosh, what about you? Obviously studying, I was going to say, in your spare time, in your downtime. 
what, what have you got any other hobbies or passions outside of the game um so i study sport and exercise psychology because i really like the mental aspect of sport and how people's like mental ability can be like affected so like setbacks and stuff and i think in football you hear about a lot of it now so like players that get released from clubs and stuff like that and just like I like to talk to people. It sounds stupid, but I think I'm like a natural therapist. <laughs> so I'm like, what's going on in your life? Oh, tell me more about that. <laughs> I'm quite nosy, but just because I care. So I like to know if people are genuinely all right. And if not, like, how can I help? Oh, all right. <laughs> it got quite deep. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, if, if that's what, do you kind of see yourself progressing into that sort of role, into, into sports psych or, or something like that? Yeah, definitely. Because I think... In that profession, I can kind of relate to it myself because I've been through a lot of the stuff that other athletes have been through and I kind of know how to cope with it. So I could share my coping mechanisms with them and like sympathise with them because I think sometimes you get people that study these professions, but they don't actually know what it's like themselves because they've never been in that position. Have you heard about the thing about like adversity and, and kids and stuff like that usually go on to be great sportsmen and women or, or early challenges and things like that? Because I'm just thinking you know, if, if there's some young kids listening, some young girls, some young boys, it's not always plain sailing. Like you're going to deal with setbacks every day, every week, every month of your sporting journey. I see it as a good thing because you build like a resilience and a work ethic type thing. Yeah, I think like every time you get a setback, and every time you get a challenge, it makes you a better player because you're so used to having setbacks and challenges that sometimes when you don't have to work, well, you do work as hard, but when something comes a bit easier, you're like, is this actually happening kind of thing? But I think it definitely makes you resilient. And I think everybody's journey and path is different. So just because somebody has to put a bit more time in doing like one thing it doesn't mean you're any worse of a player or anything it just means like everyone's different like everyone might have the same destination but how we get there obviously depends on us and it can take one person a year and another person three years but as long as we get there that's all that matters What a way to end the series. Big up to Tatasha and Lark, the new Six Nations champs. It's been a pleasure to get to know the girls and to follow their journey through the Six Nations. I've learned all about fake tan, couples training sessions, and who is the biggest rugby noise, Poppy Cleo, of course, but also how tough and dedicated they are and how hard they train and how they're pushing things to the next level, paving the way for other female athletes. Thanks to you for joining me on this journey and for letting us know how much you've enjoyed the series. The listener who's won themselves a shirt signed by the England's men team is Annie039. Well done, Annie039. Please make yourself known to us on England Rugby's Twitter or Instagram and we'll get that shirt on its way to you. Hopefully you can join me again next time. But until then, take care and bye for now.